Hello and welcome to another episode of The Gab. Today I have my friend Marla Ruhana, clinical social worker and just extraordinary human being. How Aww. are you? Thank you so much for having me here today, Gabby. I love this, your yeah. podcast. It's awesome. I'm so happy to talk to you about, I mean, like so many questions I have. Um, but let's start with the basics. Tell us about a regular day in your life. A regular day in my life begins with um, seeing my family off to work. And I love my mornings. I treasure my quiet time. So the day begins walk, taking the dog for a walk. And then I exercise with my trainer, Brent Steep. Wow. And take some time for some meditation. Catch up with my four sisters. Talk to a few girlfriends. And then my day begins usually... Uh, 11 till 8 or 9 p.m. Wow, that's On great. telehealth, then I go to work. Oh, telehealth. Okay, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Um, What makes you happy? Well, it's funny. I was listening to the Pharrell song, Happy on the Way Here. <laughs> that's so funny you're asking me about happiness because I started to introspect driving here about it. And I used to... Um, talk quite extensively about happiness with the Buddhist monk because one of my friends used to say, Marla, happiness is overrated. And I thought, boy, he's negative. And he said, yeah. expectations are dangerous. Expectations of happiness. We set ourselves up for depression. So I started to talk to a Buddhist monk about that who um, is a colleague of mine. And he said, you know, there's truth in what your friend's saying. Life is pain and suffering. There's mm. moments of bliss, and we must embrace those moments. Yeah, like the happiness is is how you feel in a mm -hmm. moment where you have no no fear and you're in peace. Mm -hmm. So and I think that is it, being fully present, having taught mindfulness um, at Wayne State, you know, in the grad school social work, being fully present, mindfully noticing. And so for me, I think happiness is being out in nature, holding a baby. Yes. The, all the simple pleasures, mm -hmm. I think, are where happiness is really at. I love that. Well, another piece that I do do for self-care, um, which I know we could talk about later, but um, in addition to my private practice, I facilitate women's escapes. And they're called beach glass escapes. And the reason they're called that is because my number one form of self-care all summer is searching for beach glass on the beach. It's sort of oh. like a walking meditation to me, creative meditation. And I just get in my zone when I'm staring at the sand, walking, searching for those little hidden gems. So I share that story on my website, Beach Glass Escapes. But um, Oh, I love that. What do you do with them? Oh, we have glass jars, some are in the base of a lamp, all yeah. different colors. Wow. Okay. Very, very nice. Um, okay, what made you decide to become a therapist? So that's an interesting question. I was <laughs> raised in Gross Point Woods, mm -hmm. and my mother was already in her sobriety by the time I reached high school. She was a recovering alcoholic. And um, attended Alcoholics Anonymous. So at a very young age, I was introduced to Alatot and mm -hmm. Alatine. And by the time I reached high school at Gross Point North, um, I had a lot of awareness and insight, I feel, already into 
mental health. And even in elementary school at St. Joan of Arc on the blacktop, I can remember other students, peers would joke that I was like Lucy with the Lucy stand. People I would, love Lucy. Yeah, people 99 come, cents. Yeah, they'd come tell me their troubles. And then in high school, I began to notice a lot of substance abuse problems. And it made me really angry. And David Toma came and talked at Gross Point North. And he had a TV show, Beretta, back in the day. You're yeah. too young, Gabby. But he, <laughs> um, he came and spoke about substance abuse, and he changed my life. Wow. He inspired me to go to college and to become a therapist. With I was on a mission. I was going to go back and work in the Gross Point schools, but... Um, you know, life had different plans for me. I ended up in Henry Ford Health System for decades and private practice. For decades. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But um, um, he inspired so me. So going back to your mom, when she she was an alcoholic in what part of your life? When you were a child? Yes, early. And so for me, I don't really have memories of that because we would just think she was taking a nap. She wasn't uh, violent or mean or anything. That's and it seemed like it was just short-lived. Like, I just remember her drinking Pepsi, and then she sort of switched to alcohol as short-lived, and the next thing I knew, there was never any alcohol in our house. So, she took control of it. Immediately, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to be a mediator or deal with her with her. Oh, no, not at all. And I situation. actually... As bizarre as it sounds, I tell people often I'm I'm blessed that my mother was an alcoholic because she too really inspired me to go into the field of mental health. It's true. She was so proactive and took control of the issue and admitted the problem, which we all know is the first step. So um, she instilled so much in me at a young She's such age. an inspiration, yes, yeah. very grateful. That's very remarkable. Um, okay, so let's talk about the teenagers. Mm-hmm. Why do teenagers feel such despair and another time so much boredom? It's a very important question because things have really changed. The um, despair now is grief. Everything they missed out on. Yes. Family weddings, family vacations, graduation parties, the commencement itself, the all the senior activities that they missed out on. Um, Prom. And let's face it, from a developmental perspective, teens need their peers. They need to socialize. It's very important developmentally. And so this poor group has really missed out on that. And I see a lot of despair in that regard. And um, what leads then in turn, I I believe you mentioned boredom. Yeah. The (laughs) pre-pandemic boredom. As I think we live in a very different world than when you and I were teens. Yes. When I was in high school at Gross Point North, we took a senior trip to Fort Lauderdale without any parents. What? Well, now oh there's, my gosh. you know, that's 1984. Now I think we see the world as a little bit more of a dangerous place and we protect our children. We have human trafficking issues we never really talked about in 1984. So... Our kids are a little more sheltered, and I feel because of that, they are bored. Like I have boys tell me, I want to do every bad thing I can, Marilla. Every bad thing, I just want to be defiant and do it because of boredom. And they tell me these things, and 
I think the real problem... And parents are just trying to protect them. Exactly. And, and so they're bored because they don't get the primal experience of going out and trying things. You got it. And then they mm-hmm. tell me now the social isolation is the problem. Now, you, you're talking about pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. Mm-hmm. I have a question about before social media and after. Mm-hmm. How are teens from before social media different from teens after social media psychologically? Well, before, they had a lot more time fully present with their friends. Mm. And now, social media is good and bad. It's a catch-22, the flip side of the coin. It connects us, but it disconnects us. Yes. And I think that parents have to assist their teens with balance. I know a lot were loosening the grips during the pandemic, Um and allowing more time on social media because kids were so isolated. That's how they were connecting to people, yes. Right, so they did loosen those grips. But I think also just having the balance of trying to maintain some routine, physical activity. How do we help children with anxiety for performance and for life in general? I have seen several children that if they miss a couple days of class, they immediately are super stressed out. Um, cause they feel like they're not gonna be able to re- recoup and there's all this pressure for, not for learning, but for scoring high because everything amounts to what's going to happen in college. And, um, I feel like it, there's a pressure to be good at everything, not just one thing, but everything, this, the, 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 your resume has to have extracurricular activities, but you also have to be great in sports and you also have to have leadership and you also have to be in the arts and you also have to have excellent grades. I mean, and in reality, who is this person going to be when they grow up? Since they're, so if they're good at everything, then what are they going to be experts at? What I mean, what is the expectation and how do you deal with that crazy anxiety. Well, and again, you bring up a great point, especially in terms of going back to the social <clears throat> media, there's good and bad about it. So let's face it, even for us, there a certain amount of anxiety is good for all of us. It's a, it's a great motivator. However, when it starts to interfere with your activities of daily living, it becomes a problem. And for a lot of these teens, especially the overachievers, Yes. I do a lot of psychotherapy with them and they have a lot of intrusive thoughts of the fear of failure and they've got to be perfect in all these ways. The perfectionism really comes through. A hundred percent agree with you. And they tell me that they like virtual learning because they're self-starters mm-hmm. and they can get it all done in two to three hours. Yes. They don't want, they're bored with their peers and they don't relate to them. So there's a lot of pressure for them. They want to get to college because they think they'll find other like-minded peers. I see anxiety in that group. You're right. Tests, scores, all of those things. I think parents who are proactive and do seek out mental health treatment. The Family Center has a ton of wonderful yes. resources for, for therapists. And parents being proactive, setting boundaries around social media and being proactive about encouraging their kids who are struggling with anxiety to speak to someone 
especially like cognitive behavioral therapy that I have taught at Wayne State. What is cognitive behavioral therapy? So cognitive behavioral <clears throat> therapy, otherwise known as CBT, mm-hmm. is my theoretical orientation, the way I practice. Mm-hmm. Aaron Beck was the founding father. And the whole premise of CBT is as you think, so you feel. Mm. Therefore, you act and behave. Mm. So we really help people to become more self-aware of their thoughts and to mindfully notice thoughts are just thoughts. They can't hurt you. You can reframe those thoughts. Yes. Some thoughts are intrusive and automatic. I help people with their thinking. And the more they notice and they feel empowered to be in control of those thoughts, they recognize those thoughts can't do the damage that they allowed them to do in the past in their life. Uh, Back to the anxiety, the other issue I would like to talk about is not so much the overachievers, but their peers really struggling um, to... uh, as I call my women's retreats, re-entry, after they leave a retreat, re-entry into their homes. Same thing I tell peer um, teens, re-entry into the world. Yes. I hope that makes sense. And they are struggling. Let's face it. We went through a year that was very dangerous. Mm -hmm. It was dangerous to go out into the world. They did not feel safe. They noticed their parents not feeling safe. Their parents lost jobs. They had a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And I noticed these teens almost have PTSD and traits of agoraphobia, fear of leaving the house. Yes. Um, Fear of the marketplace is what we would call it. And so I think it's so important for parents to tell them we're in this together. Mm -hmm. We'll take this one step at a time. Validate their feelings. They're not alone. Have compassion. Acknowledge what, what's happening. Like you said, recognize their thoughts. Absolutely. So the way to help children is to acknowledge and help them and go from there. Communication. Keep Indeed. it open. Yes. Um, how do we combat from a point of view like us talking to our children vaping and wax pen abuse when it is so easily concealable and so easy to get and um i mean besides policing the children all the time what can we tell them so they understand that it is so addictive and it's so dangerous it comes with a lot of risk so a <clears throat> uh, good question and again um i you know, look at this vaping, uh, same thing, pre-pandemic to now, the research shows that it is at the highest rate oh, it is. of use as ever before. Cannabis for boys, the rate of use is higher than ever. So they attribute a lot of it to the social isolation of being at home that they can vape at home. They can smoke weed at home. Um, because some of it you can't even smell. There, It's easier to conceal than drinking yes. alcohol. Alcohol was what they did socially with friends. So you see a decline on alcohol abuse, but uh, escalation mm. of vaping and cannabis. Do you think people do that because they are bored or because they want to escape and just be high? I think that it's a combination of both of those things. Um, 
young males tell me college age and high school have told me that um, the cannabis takes the edge off oh. and they're not drunk. So it can just, they can, they can take one hit, operate. they feel they can still function. function. They could just take one hit and they tell me it'll take the edge off if they do have anxiety about, you know, taking an exam or something like that. Going to tour colleges that, you know, they could just go in the bathroom and take a hit off their pen and their parent doesn't know. So, you know, it's very concerning. It is an epidemic. It's so addicting. I think one of the best things parents can do is take them to their primary care physician, make sure their kids have an annual physical, mm -hmm. have the physician talk to them about all of the medical risks that go along with vaping and cannabis. Because even though marijuana is legal in so many places, it doesn't come without risk. For example, you know, constricting our vessels. I mean, it can still cause health problems and kids are so infallible it'll never happen to me well They're and, not thinking and that. Uh, every time a person gets high their brain cells die so um and I driving mean, it's a concern distracted driving driving under the influence it's still a drug and if they take one to take off the edge later they're at home and they, i mean they have it there like you said it's not something that it's Something that people or their parents can see because mm -hmm. it's easily concealable. And that, that is the concern that it's so um, concealable. So I do recommend that, you know, while you're in my home, setting the boundaries. Yes. This is not accepted or allowed inside of this home. And when they say, well, it's not bad. It's not legal for you. Excellent. It's legal, but not for you. That's mm -hmm. what I suggest to parents. Exactly. That is such a good tool. Um, what is your outlook for the future? And this could be talking about teenagers, post-pandemic, or for your family, for the world, and your career. Oh. When you think about the future, what, what, do you, what does Marla see? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I wasn't blessed with children of my own. And um, my mentors say, well, that's because it wasn't intended for you. You're here to be a mother to many. Yes. And I sort of, you know, not that my patients are my children, but um, I do, I've sort of always seen myself in that matriarchal sort of role. And in addition to my private practice, I've been facilitating women's escapes since 2006. It's not a domestic violence shelter. It's not a treatment center. They're not yoga retreats. It's just a place for women to escape their everyday life and replenish. And um, I'm very excited. My husband and I have just purchased a property where I will be able to um, hopefully offer some of those escapes. I don't know for sure. I want to get in the house <laughs> and see how I feel in it. Yes. And if I want to open it up in that way. Um, but... You know, it's a possibility, and that way I could offer a lot more in terms of helping with these mental health issues. A little thing that is exciting to me is that you said that the owner of this house was a switchboard uh, person, yeah. and uh, the house is full of memorabilia from those times, and that 
you thought about uh, women connecting. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, that's why it felt meant to be, and I thought this would be a good space for women to come together in friendship and connect, and whether it's for a day, 24 hours, um, that they could come there for a day retreat and connect with other women. Women struggle to find new friends. Yes. I want to create a space where they could come together in friendship. But yes, it was the house for the Bell Telephone switchboard operators back in the day. Switchboard operator, yeah. So I thought, where better for me? I bought my first phone in the fifth grade with my babysitting <laughs> money. I had the pink princess phone. And I'm all about women and connection of all ages. It's just, it's a, it's a full circle. It comes all together. So it's super exciting. We'll see what the future holds. Yes. Very exciting. Very exciting. Oh, I am so looking forward to that. And I am so thankful that you could come and have a little talk with me and uh, just talk about all these things. I mean, it's a mix of challenges but also exciting things and i just want to thank you so much for for being in the podcast thank you so much for having me i hope i see you on a beach glass escape soon for sure thank you so much and thank you and i'll see you in the next episode of the gap